Hey, before we kick off the episode, I'd like to let you know that nothing Sam and I say during our series on investing should be seen as investment advice. Each person has a different financial situation, and what makes sense for Sam or me might not, and probably will not, make sense for you. We are not financial advisors, and you should do your own research before making any investment. Know that all investment strategies and investments involve risk of loss, and always remember that if it sounds too good to be true, it is probably not true. Please enjoy the rest of the show. This is the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. Your hosts, Sam Harris and Nicholas Farik digest the most interesting, informative, and topical books, giving you their biggest insights. We expose different perspectives and tools to look at the world to make you wiser than yesterday. Hello there, listener, and welcome to the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. My name is Nico, and as usual, again, I'm joined by my good friend and co-host Sam, Who's calling in from Fuerteventura, Corralejo? Wow, yeah, our, yeah. our Spanish pronunciation is terrible. Yeah, so there's so many Italians apologies. here, and then they just start speaking Spanish with like perfect accents, and I'm like, oh, hola, donde vives? Soy Samuel. Oh dear. <laughs> nice. Anyway, back to the topic. So today, Sam and I have are doing a review of the book, The Art of the Deal, Contemporary Art in a Global Financial Market, authored by Noah Horowitz. And it's basically our book to take us into talking about art as an investment within this season on investments. So yeah, this is a book. It's a <laughs> it book, is a book, I yeah. Call it. <laughs> it's not, it is a book. That's probably the first nice thing I can say uh, of the few. Anyway, so yeah, it's a book on the contemporary art mainly and so it has a chapter on video art and experimental art which is like the first half of the book and then it talks about art investment funds and then also about art commercial dynamics and the dynamics between artists dealers auction houses museums and collectors so i mean i'm gonna throw this out there so i felt like this was like it read like an economic paper written by someone who felt a strong need to show off yeah. his vocabulary <laughs> i mean I've listened to a part of the book in the car with my wife next to me. And sometimes like we would literally start laughing because of certain sentences. I mean, they were full of these, you know, aestheticized and these kind of words that didn't make any yeah. sense to a normal person. I basically. can completely agree with that. Apart from I was not sitting in the car with my wife. I was just being like, I have no idea what he just said. I <laughs> just, yeah, switched off almost instantly. Yeah. It does make me feel sad for the amount of like, scientists that have to read phd papers and because there must be so many that are so boring and mm. you like i've basically got a book worth of stuff that someone's put mm. a lot of effort into and like four people are going to read it and i have to be one of them and oh god but yeah it was yeah it was hard to read and actually sort of develop any form yeah. of opinion or like memories with this book yeah. so congrats on noticing that there was a whole chapter about video i miss and contemporary stuff <laughs> i missed that listen to it <laughs> i had no idea what happened <laughs> the words went yes. into your head and straight out yeah it's um i think that the book does a pretty bad job at discussing this the problem is that sam and i prefer to listen to our books and so there are better books on you know investing in arts but they just don't have audio versions and so i don't know why someone decided to like someone has to read this book and let's turn this book into an audio version but it happened <laughs> but still <laughs> do not recommend listening to this honestly like sam if you had to listen to this book again or the book by you know the 14 hour book we did in our philosophy series oh, by um the saint that augustine one? one saint francis 
Yeah, I, I think the same to Augustine. Yeah, I think I would pick that one. It was hard. It was really hard. But like, there were some Four stories at least sometimes, yeah. and yeah, the yeah. phrasing was like this super was old school dry. and things. But yeah, I think I de- I, yeah. I feel like I think I an affection towards that book now after this one. I'm like, oh, that would be so nice. I, <laughs> I love that 14 hours of that. Yeah. All right. So I mean, I have a tiny few takeaways from this book, but I suggest instead of talking about the book. We just talk about yeah. investing in art. I think, I mean, that's the reason why we decided to, to read this book uh, anyway. So, um, I mean, <laughs> we can take away from the book what, we, what, we, what fits within, I guess, our narrative around, you know, why art makes sense as an investor investment. And if it's cool for you, I'll start and try to, like, I think that art is going to be, is already and going to be increasingly important as a, mm. you know, store of value. And so I think... For me, I consider art is like a game for the super wealthy. So the moment you have a net worth of, let's say, over maybe 100 million, you have multiple houses, you maybe even have a yacht or or at least a decent boat. Maybe you have a private jet. Maybe you have to be richer than that. But anyway, and at that point, like what else are you going to buy yourself? And that's where art comes in. And I think art is for the super rich a new way to basically virtue signal. You virtue signal wealth, you signal connections, status, taste, and influence. So the rich are getting increasingly richer, which means I think that art is going to also play an increasing role of as an investment and store of value, if that all made sense. Yes, that makes sense. Yeah, it's just based on sort of trends. There's just more and more super wealthy people. And I think there will be some collectors let's say sort of we think like 50 to 80 percent of people who are in the super wealthy would be doing this but then like maybe 10 percent in like the mid-level would be doing it but also Mm. then there's the whole access to investing platforms so that there are art platforms where you can kind of like fractionalize an art investment and kind of co-invest with a bunch of people in the same way that you can kind of like do lending to peer-to-peer lending and um Mm -hmm. all other sorts of things that make it easier or like things like free trade and robin hood which lets you invest in like part of a share with like minimal fees so like millennials can start investing so i think mm-hmm. there will be more stuff coming in to let others get in on the sort of the art deals action but i agree it's mostly going to be driven by like wealthy in the same way like crypto is 90 percent owned by people that own like huge amounts of it and well i think it was like two percent or one percent mm. is actually sort of owned by like yeah the masses and stuff. Mm. Was, I sent it like Rafael the other day and was like, yeah. wow, this is insane. And um can't remember the exact specifics. So anyway, before I quote some incorrect stuff, we'll go back to art. And yeah, I think just the rising middle class, upper class, everything that, as in the new billionaire status is going to be sort of replaced by like everyone to be trillionaires and stuff over the next 20 years and things. And um everyone's getting richer and things that are sort of finite, like amazing pieces of art from history are are not getting more. So they're going to get more valuable. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. And I also think that for more and more people, all our basic needs are basically satisfied by modern technology and modern capitalism, I guess. Yeah. Right. It's easier to get everyone, well, at least here in Belgium, you know, most people on a average wage can get a house. And I mean, it's harder and harder to buy that and afford that, but I guess it gets better. Anyway, and I think that we'll see that, you know, more and more people starting to look at art as also a store of value for them, even if they're not even ultra yes. wealthy. 
<laughs> Good. So we um, spoke about some things. What did you then learn from the book then? Because of there was one bit that I remember where he goes a bit more into statistics of the actual returns from artists and investments. And I think there's literally just one mm. statistic I remember. And that's about it. And <laughs> so I'm curious to see what mm. you remember from the book specifically. For me, the main things I remembered was basically the current limitations or frictions within the art market. And so there's a bunch. I've written them down here. So one is the problem of authentication or to verify the authenticity of a piece of art and to make sure it's not forgery. It's very expensive to verify, right? If you are in a shop and you see a piece of art and it has a name, it could say Picasso, but how can you be sure that it is really a Picasso? Likely, if it's priced at a certain amount, you'll know that it's definitely not Picasso because uh, like, it wouldn't be priced that low. Anyway, and so that's one big issue. Another issue is also that it's super expensive to store, to handle, and to transact, which is also why I'm not super bullish on these platforms that allow you to co-invest in pieces of art. Let's say you buy like a super, super expensive, like a $100 million painting by like an old master. The amount of money you have to pay to one, have it stored, have it transferred to that storage, have it, what's it called, insured. Like all of that stuff is like one to 2% per year or something crazy. And so that's a big issue. And you, it's just because you're handling like physical stuff that, you know, could get moldy if, if it gets touched by water, if something burns down, you know, it's very risky to have so much money put into an asset that is so fragile in a way. And so that's like a second shortcoming. It's just, it's expensive to store, handle and transact. Uh, next problem with the current art markets is that it's very illiquid. So let's say you buy like a painting for, let's say, $10 million. And you, if you need the money, you're in trouble, right? Basically, if you buy art, you have to make sure that you will never be forced to sell. And it's very hard, at least with traditional art, to you know buy something and then quickly sell it for a profit just because there's so few demand and so few platforms facilitating trades in these pieces of art. Do you still agree? Yeah. And then I have three more problems. So one is that there's very difficult prize discovery, right? So like a piece of painting by, you know, an old master, like how do you prize that stuff? That in almost anything else, I guess this is the same for crypto stuff that we talked about a bunch on previous episode. But if you want to buy something traditionally as an investment, you try to calculate the returns it will bring you in the future. You know, if you invest in a bond or just in a company, you know, you can calculate how much money it will generate in the future. And for that way, you can put a value on it. But for a piece of art, it is super subjective. The price or the value of a piece of art, as with many other things, collectibles in general, come from how much people are willing to give for it. But the problem is that they're always or very often unique pieces. So you have nothing to compare to. If as a collectible, you know, you have baseball cards, but each baseball card, you have a few. So at least then you know what these collectibles have mm. sold for in the past. But with one of one piece of art, you don't know. So that, I think that's one other issue. One other issue is that whenever artists on secondary market so artist sells their piece once and then on like it can't say anything about secondary sales so sales between collectors and so the artist actually doesn't directly profit from secondary sales so you can sell you know let's say a painting for ten thousand dollars and it can be resold five years later for a million dollars and then at that point as an artist you don't profit from that at all the only way you profit is if you make a new collection and then hopefully the value of the collection that you can sell it for increases because other pieces of your work have increased in value over the secondary market. So that's one issue. 
yeah, so these are a bunch of the issues that exist within the current art market that I took away from the book that I actually, you know, stuck in my head <laughs> after listening to that, you know, rambling of complex yeah. words and no, sentences. That's quite useful, I think, as in I do largely agree with the points. It's definitely a non transparent market in terms of things are kind of locked away and you don't really know. It's sort of just a bit random. Did you notice where I was going uh, with these issues? I very much noticed where you were going with these issues. And I was like, I think I know why you picked up on these issues and remember them because you're rather... Man, I found it like some parts of the book it were like an advertisement for NFT technology, basically. It was crazy. I was like, hey, you know, it's a traditional joke within the, the financial world. It's like Bitcoin fixes this. And in this case, it's like mm. NFTs fix this. And so for me, I think reading this book and hearing all the issues in the traditional art market made me realize how many of these issues are solved by this new technology. And I really believe that this blockchain technology and NFTs will disrupt the art market almost as much as the internet disrupted uh, mail, let's say, or email disrupted mm. traditional mail. Interesting. That's a is that a bit, big, big call? A, especially um, yeah. this week, where there's been like a lot of bearish behavior on the whole markets of like all this different stuff coming out in media, being like, "Wow, oh, entities are pointless." They just point to sort of mm. centralized systems, and so they can still entirely reliant on other things and not as decentralized as we think. Which is a different discussion, perhaps, <laughs> for, compared to just general investing yeah. in art. Although. It does go into the trend of what yeah, is the I think it's relevant compared to where it's yeah. been before. I think a few points to also go into, one from the book and one from um, some of the other stuff that we've been listening to. So we listened to the Freakonomics. They did like a nice three-part series on art investing mm. and things, which I found quite useful. So maybe talk about those around like sort of more traditional art up to now before we go into future of art, perhaps. That's all right. Sure, go ahead. Cool. So the bit that I remember for the book was where it went through like the average returns over the past sort of 100 years and versus mm -hmm. the stock market. It was largely very similar, the kind of investing in art market in terms of the price fluctuations year on year. You could expect an average return of sort of minus 20% to plus 40% kind of thing in this sort of similar rate to the stock market. And overall, it was like 5.5% average increase, whereas the stock market hmm. was like 5.9% based on the way they'd done it or something. So the stock market was slightly better. But, of course, if it's that similar, and there are some people that are getting huge returns, some people are not, and anyone in this game is open to just try and beat the general market by investing in art. So you can certainly do an amazing job of investing in art and make a ton of money. Can I quickly ask for a question? So you said 5.5%. Did that include the costs? Of storage yeah, and internal stuff, probably not right. That part, <laughs> uh, Sam. No, but yeah, mm. likely not because yeah, the I thing is, like, like if you like, how are these exactly? So these numbers come from uh, we see the price of average prices of paintings over this period of time increase yeah, by that exactly. that much. So I mean, I guess especially if you go hundred years back, you're not going to take into account storage costs. So assuming that the storage costs are not taken into account. Basically, there's a trade-off. On one hand, if the storage costs are significant, probably 1% to 2% per year, it wouldn't surprise me. So your returns actually go down. On the other hand, a piece of art is, by definition, something nice to look at or, I guess, experience if you have experiential art. I mean, if you compare it to a stock or like buying a part of the index, 
you can't hang that on your wall and look at it. Although, I mean, in a weird way, some people might <laughs> enjoy that. But I guess an advantage of art is that, you know, you can buy it, enjoy it, consume it in a way, and then still sell it at potentially a profit. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely a lot more faff. <laughs> and um, yeah, I agree. To try and do it like properly yourself. Even if you are rich, you still need people to like, organize it and things. Like I remember working on yachts when I was younger and these rich people would own these yachts, but they'd be stressed enough from like whatever they were doing to make them rich. And then they'd have to employ full-time staff to look after this yacht for them and like manage it and things. So, I mean, if you get to the point where you're like billion dollar rich and you just sort of like say, cool, I want a yacht. Someone recruit a team for me because you have such a big team of staff. It's cool. But if you're like in the sort of mm-hmm. five to 20 millionaire status or something, you kind of do you need to have a direct relationship with the captain that's like managing the ship or something. And there's always something going wrong with it. And it's just, an absolute ass and they seem super stressed by the whole thing mm-hmm. and they, the one week they did want to have a holiday there might be something broken on it and stuff and yeah it didn't seem like that enjoyable to be um ending a yacht exactly and i feel like art mm-hmm. might be similar apart from it's probably not breaking down as much as yachts but i guess i thought that could be relevant yeah. because we did think about generally talking about investing in other stuff that could go up in value so if you have like a really fancy yacht it might be something that keeps its value kind of thing and cars or guitars and other stuff that people invest in which is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it sounds... I, I'm quite put off, <laughs> basically, by the whole space. And it sounds yeah. like you sort of I agree. need to be super into it. And I feel kind of going into the stoic side of things as in you can develop fancy tastes for stuff that you just don't need and it just makes you more opinionated. So if you can't, like... You can have, like, a nice picture for, like, a tenor on your wall that like, is super beautiful and makes you think about, like, the world and stuff versus like Mm -hmm. some crazy painting that maybe isn't actually any better to look at but it's just sort of worth something but only if you know you know in the same way that if you develop a really fine taste for coffee or for wine you'll notice the difference but you won't notice the difference if you don't try to like learn these differences and you're basically spending time to make yourself Mm -hmm. more unhappy most of the time unless you get something that you have to pay more for and you could just be happy as things are so like why would you bother uh it's just kind of pointless so um I yeah, agree. I'm starting to feel like art's oh, a bit pointless. I, <laughs> I think, well, I mean, I guess you can make the case that you, what you just said is art is pointless as a yeah. means for enjoyment, right? Because I agree, I think art is part aesthetics, but I think art is way yeah. more virtue signaling. Sure. And I think exactly as you said, you know, as a stoic, why would you even bother, right? That said, like, I still think art could be a valuable potential investment. Mm but probably only if you have an edge. And I think in general, and I mean, this is not a recap episode, but I think that this one I'm going to touch on when we do our recap episode. I think in general, alternative investments, which I consider art to be for the moment, I think only makes sense if you have an edge or maybe as like a small part of your diversified like asset allocation plan right where mm. you know one or two percent you invested in arts and then i would also either invest in something you really really like but then again it's not an investment i guess when you would buy it just because you like it and as an investment i would try to find a way to not buy one piece but find a way to buy in a bunch of pieces in a sort of tracker yeah, yeah. or in a fund perhaps but again i still wouldn't do that in traditional art because of all the points that i said where it's so expensive you know there's so much friction that I think, like, if you want to do that, you might as well go for NFT art, which I think is, I'm super bullish on, and I'm a 
collector for myself. And I think I feel like I have a bit of an edge in that space because I've been in there yeah, more than most people. And I work um, for like an but, actual VC that kind of gets all also, leading yeah. stuff that's coming in and reviews it. So that's kind of handy. Yeah. So I totally agree mm. with that. And I have two sort of points to hit on around one diversification of strategies and like how diversified actually is it when you have things like just like a stock market downturn or something whether you've got like a fancy guitar or like a fancy piece Mm. of art if there's just less people with money is you really securing yourself versus just having like the etfs anyway because of (laughs) that's just Mm -hmm. sort of i don't know a bit of a philosophical conundrum and secondly being having an edge because of the Freakonomics episode went into how different pieces of art actually become popular and basically if you have a bunch of friends mm-hmm. at like the most famous art galleries or you work at them and you're able to get pieces shown there then you have an edge mm-hmm. and most of the value that gets created is from things going on display in these museums and they kind of are slightly mm-hmm. sort of money printing kind of mafia machines on the art world that you don't really control unless you're inside it but uh, if you are super rich and you're able to pay the owners or something or the sort of corruption stuff that used to be mm-hmm. endemic that maybe still is who knows probably then yeah you can get an edge and uh this has been some of the issues pointed to in like the crypto industry of and just like the rich people actually know who's doing what and they can just sort of say what's popular by like pumping the prices mm-hmm. of a different project and um making something seem scarce versus something else even though it's kind of all just random pixels and stuff and you need to have an edge and know what's going on and who's going to be doing this and why something's going to become value versus something else and understand that it's not usually based just on how good it looks as a piece of art essentially speaking mm-hmm. so true it's like infinite no not an infinite but the money printing machine if you're super rich let's say you're a billionaire you find an artist that you like you know whose pieces of art you like you buy let's say half of them, the pieces, and the rest of the pieces, they're in the free market. And then you make sure that one of the pieces is being sold at an auction house. And at that point, you buy that piece, you bid it up with someone else to $10 million, and where the other pieces were worth maybe ten dollars to $100,000. And at the point, everyone's going to be like, holy crap, look at this new artist. They just had a piece of art sold at that price. They must be insane. And at that point, half of their works that you own yeah. are actually worth way more. Boom, you just make Definitely. yourself and a shit ton of money. in the same way, if you have already developed a name for yourself because you're super rich and people think of your taste as good because nobody even understands what taste is. It just depends on what people like then they're also going to think it's good. And same way, like if Elon Musk says everyone should invest in a different coin, everyone goes like, oh, Elon Musk is a tastemaker for crypto. It's like, if you are mm-hmm. that rich and you can buy something in the art world, it sort of actually signals that it's worth something already just by you buying it and then it already becomes more valuable. And um, yeah, <laughs> so life is easy. So great, great advice here from us. How to get richer. Be super rich first and then and then, then it'll be easy. <laughs> life is sorted. Everyone that listens to this yeah. podcast, yeah. I think you're going to thank us for this. (laughs) Yeah. One more anecdote about the NFT market, which a lot of people are hating on. So I'll I'll gladly give this one because it's actually anti-NFT in a way. So it's now January 2022. And I think in January of 2021, Beeple's first 5,000 days piece was sold for $69 million as an NFT, which was one of the top 10 or top five most expensive pieces of art ever sold. And it was like by far the most expensive NFT art ever sold. And so it was bought by Metacoven, 
who is a Indian crypto entrepreneur, super rich, obviously a billionaire. So before he bought that piece, had worked with people to fractionalize a bunch of his art. So they had put like a bunch of people arts into like a vault and they had turned that vault, they had basically made like hundreds of millions of shares of that vault. And so you could own a fractional part of the art of people, of this artist. And so he had like one to 2% of the full supply of that token, which was the fractional representation of a part of Beeple's art. And so the moment he bought that piece of art for 69 billion, so that one NFT, the, the 5,000 first days, the value of the tokens that he held went like times a 50 or something crazy. Just to illustrate that again, a lot of this is very unfair opinion making, just using money to pump up the perceived value of things just because you can't value things in a mm. normal way, right? Anyway, so if you're a hater of NFTs, you can use that story. I'll grant it to you. I think the technology still has a lot of potential and will solve a lot of issues, but there's a shit ton of scams and shitty art and people, a forgery also, like just existing artists that, you know, have their work suddenly turned into NFTs by someone else being sold and they're like, what the hell is happening? I didn't allow for this. I didn't don't get anything of this. So there's definitely a lot of issues here. But I still think that it's a wild west. You'll see a lot of illegal stuff happening. But in the end, I think the tech is worth it. Am I turning this too much into an <laughs> NFT episode instead of art episode? It's okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I think personally, if you'd ask me, should I invest in art or in NFT art? I would always say the second, just because it fixes so much. And I think art as a store of value, I think will be replaced by NFT art as a store of value, just because of the frictions that go hand in hand with art. And I think the traditional art will probably lose some of its commercial use as a store of value just because mm. it's so yeah, costly it's to difficult. there's so many and frictions if you look at other trends going on in the world around people have just been accruing stuff for the last 50 years and realizing that actually this baggage is kind of causing them actually like just to make your life more limited and there's more people wanting to be like digital nomads and sort of investing more in experiences over stuff and things that as a wave could be interesting but there's also like a huge amount of people that aren't doing this so i don't know i might be talking complete bullshit <laughs> yes on that i'm trying to turn this into an nft podcast sam's trying to put this <laughs> yeah. in a sto- into a stoicism podcast you can see where we uh, happening. have our interest invested i i do think it's probably good to have some not completely just bullish views on blockchain so it's good that we've spoken about some of the bad parts of nfts there mm-hmm. and i think it depends if you fundamentally believe in like the metaverse is going to take over in general and we're all just going to be like living digitally native then how much more of this physical stuff do we really want or need? Not so much. So perhaps mm. art is a terrible investment. You can still think that like property is going to be kind of useful. You've got to live somewhere. If you actually are just going to turn into a cyborg and basically live in the metaverse the whole time and just sort of need some kind of physical stuff just to keep yourself alive, then maybe not. But I think we've got some time for that. So I wouldn't worry. Yeah. So art as an investment, Sam, do you see yourself allocating a significant part no, of your I do not. I do that. Do see myself maybe using one of those art websites for investing in it, where you can kind of get like a fifty quid voucher anyway to go and start investing in art, and perhaps just putting two hundred pounds in it just to sort of um, satisfy my curiosity just to see what's going on there, and not make any money, mm. and remind myself that I'm an idiot and I don't need to make money in this yeah. other avenue as well. But I'm not sure if I actually want any other more notifications or things to think about. So I don't know. Um, but mm-hmm. I don't see myself really getting into that as a big thing. It seems too much work. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think I'd rather invest in cars or 
other physical stuff. Definitely not yachts, as we've already discussed. My dad really likes collecting guitars. Yeah. But again, it just seems like faff, you know. <laughs> As I'm 30 years old and have not sorted out my life or what I'm doing with it so the idea of owning stuff for having to put it anywhere is just like scary maybe once I've got a few houses and I'm yeah. older and have a family and things and places that are actually permanent I might change my mindset quite a lot but who mm-hmm. knows <laughs> yeah. and you just see yourself carrying on down the whole investing in NFTs so in general I think with investing as we said a little bit earlier I think you should invest broadly diversified and only if you have an edge you should go heavier allocation wise to to something and so personally i'm i'm you know if you look at my net worth and the allocation i think it's, it's very very highly skewed towards nfts nfts make like a significant part of my net worth and that is because i mean one they've appreciated in value two i was early in crypto and i've used the gains from that to invest in in nfts but just quick distinction, traditional arts, a few weeks ago, me and my wife, we bought our first like real piece of art from her cousin, actually, who is an artist. And I don't consider that as an investment at all. It was relatively expensive, a bit less than a thousand euros, I believe. But we see that as like a piece of art, also a way to support a young starting artist. And we're excited about that, but it's definitely not an investment. I don't see myself investing in real art as an investment again. I would buy it because it's nice, because I like looking at it. Mm not as an investment. As an investment, I probably look where I have an edge, which would be within the NFT space, which in general, I think is also superior in all ways. That being said, I consider most of the NFTs I buy, which a lot of them are also art NFTs, I buy them because I like them and I don't mind having to sit on them for four years. And I don't really intend to sell most of them actually. It's just, I enjoy it. I enjoy looking at them. I have like my own gallery in the metaverse where I can go and check out my pieces. And so I will sell a few of them and probably some of them, if I feel like they're really overvalued, I'll probably sell them. But again, I don't think there's so much hype around this stuff that is definitely like if you don't have a huge edge and a lot of people you know that can tell you like you should buy this because this, you know, a lot of whales are moving into this. It's probably better to, to mm. stay away and, and choose traditional investments definitely as a, as a, as a way to If you're getting to, like Instagram DMs from someone being like, this is the best project ever, ignore anything yes. that stay actually away. someone spends yes. time sending you information about. <laughs> you don't know because it's just a yeah, uh, yeah shilling you scam stuff and mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. not a good use of your time or money cool so i think that's probably enough on the general thing i th- could go into like just what is a good way to actually diversify yourself because i think well actually i guess we kind of covered that around like it's just not really that useful unless you actually have some form of edge and um mm-hmm. yeah probably diversifying through different ETFs in different areas of different markets is the easiest. Perhaps there's like a very small allocation and other things that you perhaps want someone. Yes. And yeah, yeah, I think we're now going into more what would you just like summary stuff as opposed to art investing which exactly. is the point of this episode. That's so, for next um, episode. Yeah, I think we're good. Ratings for the book. <laughs> Go ahead. Can we give a note? <laughs> is... I guess. Have we ever given it? No, right? No. What's the lowest we've ever given? I have no yeah, idea. Yeah, that's a lower note. Yeah. I'm just going to say a note. It was... Yeah. I would not recommend anyone read this book, pretty much. Mm. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. It's just a, it's a test of willpower and <laughs> stuff, perhaps. As like a, a listening or reading exercise? Yeah, exactly. Like shitty text and then see how much you remember. Like summarize it or something, mm. I guess, as, as practice. I wonder if this comes up in any like 
history of art courses or like contemporary art like i think it yeah. does i think it does i looked on goodreads and there were some people who were like oh if you're interested in the cultural aspect of art or something like read this but again like for that you need to be into the culture of art which is definitely not most people i guess yeah yeah so from my side i'll give it a i guess i'm gonna give it a one i don't think it deserves a zero it wasn't pure trash but i think I probably would have preferred to read the book by Donald Trump with the same yeah, name because Donald Trump sure. also has a book. Definitely, <laughs> yeah, I think um, has some stories and stuff. <laughs> Good. Yeah, stories. Give us stories, please. I wonder if he writes like Harry speaks, sort of like whatever it's mm, simple, short sentences. Man, that'd be a fresh air after this one. This book, man, oh, the length of these sentences and the complexity of the words in them, it's crazy. Insane. Yes. Yeah. So basically, anyway. we've... Yeah. <laughs> found that i have a reading age of a five-year-old and nico is slightly better than me at that well or maybe quite a lot more advanced i was dedicated yeah. no, no, no. i think um in general if you're interested in this topic which i think it's still interesting mm. i would highly recommend listening to the freakonomics podcast episode yeah, on trilogy they did on like a three parts yeah oh, it's really really good so i recommend listening to that i think it came out like early december 2021 or something so it's, it's pretty recent it also touches on upon NFTs, which is nice, but only tangentially, so not as much as we just did. But yeah, I would highly recommend listening to that one. It's a nice read. It has like, interviews. I wish I was as good at podcasting as they. Yeah. That was, well, they, they have like, a big budget podcasting. and a bunch of people research for them <laughs> yeah, and get a bunch of different interviews for them. And yeah, they interviewed yeah. like a bunch of art investors and people that work at Sotheby's and this kind of thing. And it was nice. Yeah. And fun to create. My budget goes to NFTs. Sam's budget goes to traveling the world. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, um, yes. Yeah, that's investing in arts. Um, this is going to be our last book that we read on investing. And so, next episode, we're going to do like a little recap where we talk about our top books. Maybe we can talk about our least favorite book, but uh, everyone already knows <laughs> which one that's going to be. And then I guess we can also talk a bit more about you know our general very high level philosophy around our asset allocation. Maybe we can talk about mm. how that looks for us, how we want it to. Yeah, look. definitely, and how you think about it over time and stuff exactly. that's important think, as well uh, that might be interesting yeah all right any last words sam thanks for listening hopefully this was easier to listen to than the book and i'd recommend man imagine if it wasn't yeah We'd be <laughs> so, so people bad. would just be like all these guys talk about is how bad this book is i don't even care <laughs> what's the point of listening to the episode just saying you something you're not even going to listen to anyway Honestly, one last point. One of the most interesting, or the books that made me think most about art is actually The Elephant in the Rain, ironically. Yeah. One of the yeah, first books signaling. we read. That, that's, that's a good book. So exactly. that certainly I mean, goes into most of these, well, all the sort of NFT stuff and art stuff. And mm -hmm. even like stock market and how companies are valued, like Tesla and stuff is a bit more virtue signaling of why you'd buy one and then why mm -hmm. that's such a more valuable brand than all of the other car makers combined kind of thing is in... There is stuff going on around like group think and stuff. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, actually a worthwhile book, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. So you can go back and listen to that cool. rather than just doing it all over again in the series. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. All right. Well, listener, thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed. And yeah, if you did, feel free to share with your friends. Give us a rating. Let us know. Yeah, and with that, we're out and we look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Cheers. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you like what you heard, feel free to give us a rating and share with your friends. If you'd like to ask us a question or give us a comment, feel free to join us on Reason. Reason is Sam's startup that is building a social podcasting app. It is a place where Sam and I listen to podcasts and share ideas and insights. It'd be great if you would hang out with us there. 
Thanks again and speak to you in the next episode. Cheers.